It's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talking Ag Lane Nordland, for today's LaneCast. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for joining the Agriculture Conversation right here on the LaneCast. Today finds us on the road. We are in central Montana, north of Big Timber and just south of Melville, Montana. And if you've been to Melville, you know exactly where we are at. We are just north of the Sweetgrass Creek at the Kramer Ranch Sweetgrass Land and Cattle Company. Joining us is Matt and Bonita Kramer. Very happy to be here. And we are going to be talking about the the operation they have here, the history of the Kramer family, whether that is in the ranching industry or in the rodeo end of things in years past. But very happy to be here. And, of course, I'd like to thank the Public Lands Council for sponsoring today's show. 50 years of being a voice for the more than 22,000 public lands ranchers across the nation for more on the Public Lands Council and their 50th meeting coming up at the end of September. Visit them online at the publiclandscouncil.org. So, Matt or Bonita, who, who wants to grab the mic first? It's like hot potato here this morning here uh, here at the ranch. But, uh, Bonita, thanks for uh, for coming out. It's good to go. You can talk right into it. But, well, we're, we're out here today. And, uh, Bonita, let, let's just talk about uh, about your, your guys' uh, family and uh, the operation. Your, your son just came back and uh, after serving in the Navy. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, Justin was in the Navy for about five years. Right out of high school, he went in the Navy and um, he got to see some places in the world that, um, you know, a boy from Melville, Montana, probably ever only pointed to on a map. So it's been a, a great experience for him. But also from our end, it's it's wonderful having him back here, being the next generation here on the ranch. And um, he's got some He's got some plans in mind for things he wants to do, so we'll uh, we'll see where the future takes us. And also your daughter, Chelsea, she and her husband are running cattle in Oregon, but she's still working with the Montana Farm Bureau as well. So she, you get to see her still a lot, even though they're uh, running cattle in uh, Oregon. Yeah, we do. It's um, It's been quite an opportunity for them to um, kind of strike out on their own and see what they can get accomplished. He's originally from that Harney County area of Oregon, so... We weren't too shocked when they decided to move back there and give it a go, and, and that's wonderful for them. But it is nice having them around, too, especially with the with the grandkids now, um, grandbaby here with us. It's wonderful to to be able to spend some time and watch them kind of kind of grow, watch, watch them grow their family and grow their own opportunities. And, of course, we want to help them any way we can. And uh, baby Tegan, uh, Chelsea's uh, daughter, is with us here today as well. She's uh, looks like she's teething a little bit there, but <laughs> uh, <working> on it. <laughs> it, it's so great to uh, uh, be able to come out to the ranch and truly just have a conversation at the kitchen table. That's why I started these segments because it's important. This is where all the decisions are made. It's where so much is discussed, uh, the hardships in agriculture. And, and Matt, uh, we'll, we'll get, hand the microphone over to you. Uh, the, your family's been ranching in this uh, area for a very long time, whether it's the, the Kramer Ranch we could talk about or Kramer Rodeo, which is very famous in, in, the, in the world of rodeo as we look at the history of it. But let's talk a little bit about the history of this ranch and, uh, and being able to, uh, to stay here, just like your forefathers. Yeah, uh, my great-grandfather showed mm-hmm. up somewhere in around 1909, and he homesteaded about 11 miles east of Melville. And, of course, they had a little 320 uh, homestead down there. And they started out raising sheep. And when other homesteads came up, he bought them. And it was about 1928 or 29 that he got into the rodeo business. 
And that's what really put the ranch together was the rodeo business. Your uh, great-grandpa is uh, the uh, the famous Leo Kramer. So l- let's talk a little bit about uh, how how that the rodeo in, because a lot of the time you, you hear how rodeo ruined the ranch, but uh, rodeo kind of made this ranch, as you mentioned. Uh, let's just talk about uh, the bucking horses, all the livestock that was involved in the, in the rodeo, and, and how uh, and how sheep and cattle, you know, really paved the way for for your family. Yeah, uh, they started raising the sheep because. Well, to be honest with you, that's all you could run out here. There wasn't enough grass to run cattle at that time. And when he got into the rodeo, and I believe the first rodeo he put on was up in Livingston. And uh, he made a deal with them. If he didn't make any money, they didn't owe him anything. But if they made a profit, he'd split it with them. And that's where he got going. And it just started escalating from there. So he'd be on the rodeo circuit all summer long while his son... Uh, Lils, well, they called him Sonny, stayed home and ran the ranch. And and that's pretty much where they how they put the ranch together. He made money with the rodeo to come back and put this ranch together. Most of the time that's that's a, an opposite role where the son's out on the rodeo trail and dad's at home uh, working. But uh, it was pretty amazing where Leo took all of the, the, uh, the stock. Uh, we were just talking before we, we started the show was they went all the way to Madison Square Gardens. Yes, they had stock at Madison Square Gardens. They went to Baton Rouge, Louisiana a couple of times, but most of his main shows were like Butte, Big Timber, Miles City, Billings, Great Falls, uh, Mandan, North Dakota, Colorado Springs, and Chicago. And I'm sure there's a few more shows he put on, too. And he moved all of his stock on the railroad. So that, that would have been an impressive scene back in the day, seeing all those bucking horses and bulls and everything that they would take into those areas. And, of course, the rodeo events were a little different then, too, uh, than what we, we see in today's amateur and pro rodeo circuit. But uh, uh, so they, they they came here to to uh, the Melville area, and uh, you mentioned that he he died a, pr- a pretty uh, tragic death uh, right right in the the yard of the ranch. Yeah, uh, he we had sold a bunch of calves to a guy, and they were supposed to deliver them to Shawmut to put them on the rail, and one of the truck drivers never showed up, and he was on his way to Chicago to make a deal for the rodeo, so. He jumped in the truck and tried to take it to Shawmut, and he missed a gear on a hill and it rolled off the hill, and he jumped out of the truck, and the truck rolled over and, and got him. So, yeah, that was a pretty bad deal there. But So what year was that? Right at 1953, I believe. Okay. And uh, since then, the uh, the ranching operation has continued to... Uh to be successful, but uh, probably went through some ups and downs uh, throughout the the past decades. But let's maybe talk a little bit about uh, your, your your dad and, and then you and your brother and uh, how the ranch has uh, progressed uh, throughout the decades and uh, how it's going to look uh, in in the future um, uh, for your for your children as well. Okay, yeah, my dad he uh, he's an only child and he was born and raised down there in eleven miles east of Melville, and it was probably the mid-50s that we started buying ground up into Melville, and he took over the west end of the ranch where my grandfather took the lower end. Over years, then, uh, when me and my brother got old enough, we started taking over some of it, too. 1988, Leo, my brother, decided he didn't want to be here, and he moved in to a smaller place in the Big Timber on uh, 
his father-in-law's place. So uh, me and my Bonita, my wife, she, uh, we kind of ran the place from there on. Now let's talk, that's one thing, uh, succession planning. Uh, Bonita, we were discussing that uh, before, uh, before we started recording here. Uh, what, why is it important to, uh, to have that succession planning uh, talked about? and uh, looked at uh, before things do unravel. That's exactly why, because if you you fail to plan, you are really, you're really risking everything. And not, not just, you know, you you look at history, you look at the decisions and the, maybe some of the mistakes, but all of the successes that have happened in the past. And you kind of put this pressure on yourself a little bit that you don't want to be the one who watches that all crumble and fall apart. And um, we need to be able to, yes, look at that history, learn from it, but also keep an eye on the future. And um, as we all know, the ranching industry has changed tremendously um, in the you know over the last five, ten decades that it's existed in the United States of America. So how in how in the world are we going to expect to keep this going if we don't continually look with an eye to the future? So that's you know that it's kind of you. You look at some of the neighbors around you and you hear stories of families that where things just all of a sudden they've just fallen apart and it's sad it's heartbreaking and um we don't want to be one of those families and um some some tough decisions needed to be made several years back and we had some pretty tough conversations as a family but what's important is that we had to be really honest with each other and say okay this is this is the reality of where we're at what can we do to make sure that we can keep going and keep an opportunity for the next generation. We, let's, let's not look at the past anymore. That, that got us here, but we, we've got to be the ones that get us to the next, the next level, the next spot of success. So, um, so we kind of we made an effort to, to decide that we needed to operate this place differently. It could not be one large property um, operated with one operating entity. And so what we've done is we've split the ranch into three separate entities. Um, like Matt was saying earlier, we're here on the west side of the place, the Melville area. Um, and then Matt's sister and her family and Matt's brother also are a little bit farther east. So um, Matt's brother kind of got a little bit more scattered out. Matt's sister is still in her in the, in the place where she was um, living originally. So that seemed to be kind of kind of how it was best going to work out. You know, it, it may not stay that way forever, but that's where we are right now. That seems how that's going to be the best to keep this functioning. Um, if we could back up just a little bit, I wanted to mention a little something about the rodeo stuff. Um, Matt's sister, Rhonda Johnston, and her son, Jake Johnston, and his wife, Chelsea, have uh, kind of taken on not not necessarily rodeo production. They're not raising stock, but they've um, organized a company that has now kind of uh, taken on the management of putting on the rodeo in Big Timber. And um, they've done a a couple, it's two years now that they've been doing that, and they have really done a great job in town there. So, like I said, they're not not in the stock business, but there's still kind of a rodeo connection there. And I know that's kind of been important to them to... uh, kind of focus on that and try to keep that going well, so it keeps the history alive it, it does it truly does and then you know and, and then also in in kind of managing this this ranch property differently now it has um made that a possibility for them you know if it was something that had to be done with one person at the helm you know well running the ranch would take precedence for us so 
we wouldn't be putting on a rodeo, but that's given them the opportunity to do that now and to recognize some things that are important to them and, and take that on and do it. So that seems to be working well for them, but, um, that's, that's something they could talk to you about more than I could. So, so what was one of the biggest challenges? Obviously it's a delicate situation when you're working with family, especially on a farm or a ranch. What is one tip of information you have for the families listening today that maybe are looking at uh, trying to plan for the future or uh, they're just starting or maybe they're in the middle of it? I, I think the most important tip is that um, you need to honestly look at your finances and and truly get an idea of um, the debt load that you're carrying. If you are, you know, if you're not carrying anything, that makes that conversation a lot easier. But if you if you have some debt, you need to really honestly look at that and be be really honest with yourself and with your children, and say, okay, who's 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 going to be able to fix this? No one person can. So we all have to work together to do it. Um, you know, it, and it's it's tough to talk about money. Um, th- those are, those are tough conversations, but you've, you've got to have that hard and fast number. And, and, and then I would say, identify just a couple of goals. You know, what's your goal? Do you, do you want to be debt-free in five years, 10 years? Do you not care about debt? Do you want to just keep doing what you've always done? You know, whatever your goal is, I'm, I'm not telling you that you should be debt-free. Some operations don't have to be. That's, you know, <laughs> some do. So, you know, identify those key goals. Like, is it, is it all about quality of life? Is it all about business? And then you, and then you have to make your plan from there. So Matt, uh, moving along, there always has to be changes in a ranching or farming operation to, uh, be successful and to look down the road. What are some of the, uh, the key changes that you've seen or maybe implemented, uh, over the past since, uh, over the past uh, few decades and, uh, leading up to today that maybe were completely different, uh, when, when you were, uh, a young man out here on the ranch? I would probably have to say technology. Uh, we, when we were flood irrigating, we probably had nine to 10 people flood irrigating. Now we have three pivots and we got one person irrigating and we irrigate about 2000 acres. So, I mean, that is the biggest probably change that I've seen is the technology end of it. Just Mechan- mechanicalize everything to to cut labor down, mm-hmm. and that's one of your most expensive things. Wherever you can cut labor, is really you know helps a lot. So let's talk about your cattle herd. Uh, what what kind of genetics uh, do you prefer, and uh, how, how do you market those cattle? <clears throat> well, when we we're when Kramer Ranch was running, <clears throat> we raised uh, pretty much all of our own uh, heifers and all of our own bulls. And uh, we kind of, we kept the old style Angus. And we didn't, and we never went out and bought the, the high powered bulls back in the day. And our cows were a little different than most everybody's cows. Uh, I can remember twice in my lifetime that we've had to feed them out in the hills hay. And they, they rough it out in the hills and we calve late, we calve, you know, end of April 1st. And when the ranch was gone, we took everything to fat cattle. And we did well with that, and then that game got to be pretty hard to play in. And, you know, it's pretty hard to feed cattle in, in Montana and then ship them south to a slaughterhouse. So we uh, moved to yearlings and started running some yearlings, and then the calf prices come up, and why are we doing this? 
So we start selling cows. And right now, that's where we're at now is we're just selling marketing cows. So so which, uh, which two years did you have to feed? One was uh, 1978-9 when we had the worst winter that I've ever seen and probably the worst that my uh, dad ever saw. And the uh, next one was, I believe it was in 83, 84, uh, we had a bad grasshopper year. Mm. And they just took all the grass and we had to feed that year. The winter of 2018, how was the weather? I know up, up north, the High Line, where my dad's uh, place is at, they had two feet of snow, and usually you let them out in the hills and feed them a little bit, but this year they had to feed them all winter. Uh, what was it like down here? It was pretty rough. We, It was one of the toughest winters I've seen in quite some time. Uh, we did make it. We, we did feed. Oh, we fed for about three weeks there in the spring. But it was... Uh, a tough winter everything iced down and and we got enough ground we can keep our winter grass and this country is pretty good everybody cusses the wind but that's what keeps us out in the hills blows the ridges off and we didn't get a lot of wind and it was a little bit rough but we made it through all right so what's a tip that you have uh, for those young producers out there that are maybe trying to make a change, maybe look at a different niche. He rolls his eyes. <laughs> well, I mean, but I mean, uh, going through those different types of, of uh, you know, marketing cattle differently and running different types of cattle, what works the best for a cattle rancher in Montana, do you think? Well, or does it change? The change, yeah. Be flexible. Uh, you know, some years the cows make you money, some years the yearlings make you money. Uh, just, I guess, just be flexible and pay attention to what's going on. And then you can, and you don't need all the high-powered equipment to go out there and run your cattle. That's what gets a lot of people in trouble. They got, think they need all this high-dollar equipment. And the biggest thing is to be flexible. Pay attention to what's going on. Get a buyer that you can trust. And the thing is, get your reputation out there. The feeders know the people that raise the cattle, and they know what your cattle are like. And if you got that reputation, they'll come back year after year after year. If you don't have that reputation, it's pretty hard to sell your cattle. So do you guys uh, brand? Do you rope and drag? Do you use a table? Uh, what, what do you guys use? Oh, no, we still do the brand in the old ways. We uh, rope and drag. Uh, we have used Nord Forks for the fact that uh, it's getting harder and harder to find crews to help you wrestle but by far i believe that dragon is a whole lot easier than on the cattle and probably the people than running them through the chute you know if you don't have enough people the calf table's fine but uh it's a lot quicker and i think it's easier on the cattle to do it the old way now, both of you are also very involved in uh, agriculture organizations and uh, advocacy. Uh, uh, you're part of the Crazy Mountain Stock Growers. Gr am I correct on that here? Or? Well, I'm retired. You're retired now. Okay. That. So <laughs> we can only, the Crazy Mountain Stock Growers, they set it up. You can only have six-year terms two, or three-year terms, and you can only run two terms. And the reason they set that up is so it doesn't get stale. 
new blood comes in every six years. And you were the president. I was the president for three years of that. And they're connected to the Montana Stock yes, Growers then as a state uh, association. What, what did you take away from uh, that leadership role and uh, just being a voice for uh, ranchers here in your local community and also on the state and national level? Probably the most important thing is for people to be involved. It's really easy to sit back and say, well, that's not right, but what are you going to do about it? There are, there are things you can do about it, and you have to have your voice heard, and you need to join these organizations, organizations to get in there and help them fight it because they can't do it alone. What are your thoughts on the beef checkoff? I think the beef checkoff is a good deal. I mean, it does get your advertising out. They do help us out a lot. Uh, I know there are some uh, problems there with the NCBA. People are mad at them for one reason or another. But I think all in all, it's a good deal. And Bonita, you are also uh, the president of the Sweetgrass County Farm Bureau and also the chairman of the Health and Safety Committee for the Montana Farm Bureau Federation and uh, a, a member of the Real Montana uh, Leadership uh, class as well. well. Why is it important for you to also uh, give back to a different agriculture organization and be a voice uh, for the industry? Yeah, I, I just can kind of echo what Matt said. Uh, the importance in speaking up is, is incredible. Um, you know, so many of the decision makers, even at your county and state level in Helena and then in DC are so disconnected from agriculture. Um, it, it doesn't mean that they're bad people necessarily, that they're out to harm you. They simply don't know what they don't know. And as that trend continues, it's going to be more important for, uh, for, for us in agriculture to have that ability to speak up and, and help these people understand what it is we do, why we do it. And, that, that some of the decisions they're making behind a desk that, you know, in the moment might seem like it's the best choice. There's a lot of unintended consequences with that. And it's our job to help them understand that. And um, that's, that's kind of what's uh, most important to me is to be able to get myself in a position where, um, where I can be someone that, that they, that they know they can trust. I'm not going to come to them and, you know, burn their house down because I disagree with them. I can have a conversation with someone and we can disagree, but I can still maybe help them learn a little bit. And what would you tell maybe a young producer or an experienced producer alike why they should join an advocacy group like the Montana Farm Bureau? Well, you know, um, the, the success is in the numbers, quite frankly, and um, it's a whole lot easier to, to make your point and to be that, that trusted voice when there's a whole bunch of you together saying the same thing and supporting your industry. Um, so many of us could try to do this on an individual basis, and the success of that is just not going to be there, frankly. Uh, that, that takes a lot, of, a lot of money and a lot of time, and that's two things that, as ranchers, we don't really have. So I need to, I need to be able to put my efforts to work where they're going to do me the most good and where I can, can bring you know, maybe my skill set, my knowledge base to them and say, hey, I can help you with that. And, and that's what's important. And I think speaking to the younger, you know, this younger generation, the millennial generation, they, they get beat up a lot, but you know, they're not, you're one of them, Lane. They, you know, I am. I, you know, we raised a couple of them ourselves. And, you know, quite frankly, I, I don't think that uh, the millennial generation deserves the, the beating that it gets all the time. Um, you know, it, it's it's just different. We're we're not going to get a bunch of twenty five year olds to show up at our county board meetings. 
that's fine. We don't have to do that in order to have that involvement and that voice in either stock growers, Farm Bureau, whatever organization it is. I'm, I'm sure that all of them across the board are seeing the same thing. And there's kind of this level of frustration, like, well, we can't get the young people to join. Well, they'll join, give them something to do. Tell them, tell them why it's important that they're there. So, so that's, what's, that's our, our task moving forward. Now, I also mentioned you're in the leadership class of Real Montana. Could you explain to our listeners what Real Montana stands for and uh, just the opportunities it's provided you and your classmates? Sure. Um, Real stands for Resource Education and Agriculture Leadership in Montana. And it's a two-year program that focuses on the natural resources industries in the state. And um, there's, it's a competitively selected class. I am in the third class, so it's the third year that it's been, or, or the third class over six years, excuse me, that's been, um, been formed here in the state. It's a public-private partnership with Montana State University Extension and um, natural industry resources donors that have seen the value in, in um, saying, you know, we need to create a network of informed people who are willing to speak up on behalf of natural resources industries across the state. And that's, that's truly what the, the function of it is. Um, we are, we're, we're learning a lot about um, the coal industry, oil and gas industry. Uh, we've learned a lot about media, how to use them, how to help them do their job. You know, it, it's not fair to sit back and complain about the media if you've never offered to give yourself to, to say, Hey, yeah, sure. I'll talk to you about that. Not fair to complain if you're not going to show up. So, um, you know, that's kind of the the things that we've learned. We are um, preparing now for, um, a seminar in Lewistown. We're going to talk about food systems. It's not something that I would typically think about in Montana, but I'm kind of looking forward to that one. I'm not sure what they have up their sleeve for us there. So we'll, we'll get that one. And, uh, and then in November, we're going to be traveling to India for two weeks and we're going to really experience um, their industries. And uh, I don't have a whole lot of detail about where we're going to be when, but I know we're going to be seeing some of their their energy production, some of their food production. And um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to be a real uh, real eye-opener for me. I know that. Um, I've never traveled, traveled internationally, so I'm looking forward to that challenge. Well, it's a long ways from Melville, and I think that's one thing I've missed out on. The The wildfires have been so bad here. We can't quite see the crazy mountains here in central Montana. It is a little bit more cloudy today, but there is blue in the sky. But let's just talk about the Melville community just north here of Big Timber. It's a neat little community, and they got that beautiful little, well, is it a Lutheran church, that white? It, it is, yeah. It's um, it's the, the oldest congregation in Montana, not the oldest church building. That's, you know, it's the oldest congregation in Montana and, um, it's still, still going strong. Um, the, the Melville community I think is really unique in that it is a, a community that's just made up of generational ranchers. Um, there's, there's a few places you can, you know, smaller places that have changed hands over the years, been bought and sold. Um, you know, and, and that will continue to happen, but the, the true backbone of the community is those generational families that have been here for, oh gosh, at least four or five, maybe some of them six generations. Um, and that's, that, that truly gives it a unique identity. You know, we look to the south of us, south of Big Timber into the Boulder Valley, which is equally beautiful. 
Um, but they've lost some of that backbone over the years um, because that has become such a recreational property destination. There's really not a whole lot of those uh, generational ranchers left there. So um, I, I think... I, I think kind of in Sweetgrass County, we have the best of both worlds. We really do. Um, but I'm really glad I live where I do. Oh, it's beautiful country here. And uh, I actually, we flew around the crazies the other day, my buddy Chase Rose. And I, you, you guys know Chase. Oh, yeah. And uh, that was so, so neat. We actually were mainly on the, the west side of the crazies there. But it's just so cool. It was, it was before all that smoke blew in. But if our listeners that aren't from Montana ever want to see some of the most beautiful country in the world, head to uh, the Sweetgrass uh, County here. You can see the crazies and, and see this beautiful uh, cattle country that we are talking about. And you might actually see there's a there's a buffalo ranch right up the road here, uh, up the road here too with a with a white buffalo. So the, yeah, the great white is, buffalo. Yep, he, he's pretty famous right there off the highway. So yeah. <laughs> well, I know you guys got a lot to, to do here out on the ranch uh, today. Uh, Bonita, I'll, I'll give you the floor. See, FFA comes out in these conversations. <laughs> there you go. That, um, Bonita and I actually served on the FFA alumni board together a few years back, and uh, she was uh, an active supporter. Well, Chelsea was a state officer a few years before I was too. So, I yeah, mean, you guys are, are big uh, FFA supporters. But what what would you like to tell our listeners on the Lane Cast? Anything, uh, another bit of information, or just your thoughts on on the world today? Oh, gosh. Um, that's kind of a big question, Lane. Uh, <laughs> I think actually to just kind of wrap it up, I think, you know, sometimes we get kind of focused in, in our world now on, on what's going wrong and what's dividing us. And I, even if it takes, you know, you have to force yourself sometimes to say, you know, I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to stop. I'm going to look around me and I'm going to see what's beautiful. I'm going to see what's right. And I'm going to see what's the success here. And those, those are the things that we need to kind of dwell on, you know, in the egg industry, it's, it's tough and it gets easy to get kind of feel like you're getting beat down and nothing's going your way. But, you know, there's so much that we do right all day, every day. We've got to give ourselves more credit for that. And um, I think, honestly, if that could maybe be the closing message is that don't, don't lose track of what you're doing right every day. And then don't be afraid to tell people about it. Matt, can you follow that up? <laughs> no, I'd have to agree with Monito on that. It just, you know, we do do a lot of things right. And it doesn't seem like, you know, people agree with what we're doing a lot of times. But, you know, we've been here... Like Bonnie just said, there's people been here five, six generations, and we're still here. So obviously we've done something right. You know, the wildlife is, is doing great, and everything, you know, we just do a lot of things right. Well, I, I tell you what, I, I truly enjoyed coming out here uh, this morning, and I'm so glad that it's not quite as smoky as it's been. And, you know, I think that's one thing we need to do uh, a little bit better on and do it right is uh, manage those forests and uh, also our rangelands. And agriculture, of course, plays a big role in that in keeping the uh, ecosystems healthy. And uh, uh, for more information on uh, the Kramers, uh, you can visit them uh, on Facebook, uh, Sweetgrass Land and Cattle. They're right there on Facebook. And uh, for more information on Central Montana, just uh, Google the local Chamber of Commerce as well. They're down in Big Timber for Sweetgrass County. I tell you what, thank you so much for uh, filling up my coffee cup here today and let me join you uh, at the kitchen table. Uh, more conversations to come. 
with uh, our friends in agriculture across Montana in the West. Thanks for joining us here on the LaneCast. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talk and Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.